very beautifully done. Wonderful truths in that song. Genesis chapter 9. We were in Genesis 17, but we will go back just a little bit to Genesis chapter number 9. And we will look at several covenants as we have time. Look at several covenants in the Bible and see how they relate to prophecy. Now, I realized as I began to study this that I was going in ankle deep and then knee deep. I got about waist deep and I realized there is a lot of material here and there is no way I'm going to be able to cover a fraction of this in a Sunday night message. And uh, I, am, I am not in any way trying to uh, portray any kind of covenant theology here. We are uh, a Baptist church, dispensational, and I'm not trying to say that there are uh, covenant theologians out there who are, who are bad people. I'm not saying that they are reprobates and ungodly and heretics. That's not what I'm trying to say. But we are not a, a church of covenant theology. Uh, we are a Baptist church, dispensational, pre-trib, pre-mill. Uh, but there is clearly in Scripture covenants that God has made with man covenants that God has established, and this is a very, very rich and deep study, so I am really only going to be able to uh, cover a a fraction of these um, and really just uh, go over on on a surface level, but I I hope that this will, will help us and will encourage us. We sang about the promises of God and the faithfulness of our God and God being a solid rock, and Emily just saying, wherever he leads, I'll go. And we can trust him to wherever he leads us. And we can faithfully uh, depend upon him because he is a faithful God. And you'll see there on the slide, I started uh, to list the covenants. And then I forgot to go back and add a couple more. And then I was going to put the references on there. And I decided, well, I'll just include those later in the individual slides. But let's go and, first of all, define what a covenant is. What is a covenant? And we see in the Bible, a covenant of God is God's desire to covenant with man and to bless us with his promises and reveal himself and his faithfulness to us. It's not like we came along and we, we, we said, wow, God would be a great person to enter into covenant with. He could really benefit us. He, he could really in, 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 in embellish my life and make me more successful and make me more prosperous and, and, and almost like a, a business contract, we enter into this contract with God so that he can bless us and make us healthier, wealthier, more successful, more prosperous. It's not like that at all. We are undeserving sinners, ungodly, wicked, and in our sinful state, 
even as we will look at the Noahic covenant, even in our rebellion, and as only eight people remained faithful to the Lord, God still desired to covenant with man. It is, it's an incredible thought. And so we're only going to be able to look at a few of these covenants tonight. But we'll have to, first of all, consider an example of a covenant between humans that is a reflection of God's covenant with his people. And I can't help but think of marriage. Marriage is not just a social contract. That's what is being taught in our world today. That is what is out there in the news. That is what is in the media. That is what is pushed. And without getting too much on a rabbit trail, but when it was 2015 and there was the push for same-sex marriage, there was a lot of talk about what marriage is, what is the purpose of marriage? Who invented marriage? What, why do we have marriage? Well, 2015, yes, we were as a nation, we were in a crisis mode. We were about to, the Supreme Court was about to redefine marriage. And can I say, basically took the definition, the biblical definition of marriage out, gutted the biblical, biblical defini definition of marriage from the definition of marriage, and rightly so, as we were trying to say, and, and other uh, Christians and conservatives were trying to say, if you redefine marriage, you basically eliminate marriage as the Bible says. And sure enough, we're seeing in just eight years the consequences of that redefinition of marriage. But just because man made a decree, made a law of a verdict from the, the courts doesn't mean that marriage has changed. Man had no authority to change what God defined. Man had absolutely none, zero authority. I don't care how many Supreme Court justices voted for that same-sex marriage, the Oberfell decision. I don't know, again, I can't remember what the, the, the final vote tally was. But they had no authority, they had no rights to redefine marriage. Just like no authority here on earth has any right to redefine gender. A man is a man and a woman is a woman. And when I got that memo from the Obama administration, as I was a principal of a small Christian school about 60 miles south of here, I got the memo, because I got a Friday memo from the U.S. Department of Education every week. Usually, I had to sift through about 95% garbage to get 5% of anything that was worth uh, interpreting and, and applying. And I still remember that memo that day, that email that said the Obama administration was now going to redefine the word sex or gender. And boys were going to be allowed to use girls' bathrooms, and girls were going to be allowed to use boys' bathrooms. And I took that email down to Pastor Arrowwood's office, and I showed it to him, and I said, 
Our president has no authority to make this decision. This is not his decision to make. And God has already clearly defined what a man is and what a woman is and what marriage is. And we have to stick to what God says. But the marriage covenant is a picture. This is one of the things I, I, I go through in, in premarital counseling about marriage being a picture of Christ and the church. Marriage is a covenant. It is a picture. It reflects God's covenant with his people. Christ with the church, his bride. Marriage is not just a social contract. It is a covenant between two people before God. What God hath joined together, let no man put asunder, we say. There's real meaning and value to that statement. So as man has devalued what God has ordained, we suffer the consequences for it. Now to the point, people are engaging in marriages. I, I, I don't even like to use the word marriage because it's not a, a marriage. But people are marrying animals and cars, inanimate objects, in addition to all the various other perversions that we're seeing in our culture today. But we have to understand covenant. A covenant is God establishing this relationship with people on the basis of his promises. And his promises are backed up by his character, who he is. We make promises, we make statements that sometimes we cannot keep. One of my regrets as a father through the years is being, being unable to deliver on all of my statements. I really badly want to do this or to do that. I, I really want to be able to go here or do this or buy this or whatever it might be. And I am unable to deliver on that for whatever reason. Sometimes it's because of my own forgetfulness. Sometimes it's because the resources just aren't there. Something came up between... Uh, now and then, and I couldn't afford it, or whatever it might be. Or I thought I could accomplish this, and I couldn't do it. And, and I'm unable to fulfill the words of my promise. And shame on me for that. Sometimes it's providentially hindered. But if God makes a covenant, if God makes a promise, He means what He says, He says what He means, and He will fulfill Faithful is he who calleth you who also will do it. And we see that faithfulness in, we see that faithfulness of God in these covenants. So the Noahic covenant. Let's look first of all at the Noahic covenant. Genesis 9 and verses 9 through 17. And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there be any, any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and and the earth, and it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud, 
And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. The Noahic covenant. It is the first covenant that God made with man. The word for covenant, bereth, in the Hebrew language, is used seven times here. And this covenant includes every living creature, as we just read. We know the circumstances surrounding this covenant. We know what happened just before this covenant was made. We know that the wickedness of man's, or the the, the imaginations of man's heart was, was evil continually. Violence filled the earth. Only eight righteous people were left. Noah was righteous before God and his family, and they were the only ones. We know he preached for some 100 plus, close to 120 years probably, a preacher of righteousness. And yet only he and his wife and his sons and their wives entered into the ark. We know about the flood, and uh, we appreciate uh, even the, the lessons that Dan Clark has given in, in uh, Sunday school over the last couple of years that have been from a creation viewpoint, and he's talked about uh, some of these uh, in detail. We know about the flood. We know the judgment of the flood upon the earth. And coming out of the ark, God establishes with Noah, as he comes out of the ark, as he builds that altar and worships the Lord and gives him thanks, gives God thanks for sparing him and his family, as they start basically brand new again, not in the Garden of Eden. Sin has cursed the earth. The canopy is of the atmosphere has been broken. There's a difference that's going to come with the climate. And there's going to be uh, changes, obviously. Uh, things that we even today, we look at as we go out west and we see the mountains. The Colorado River did not uh, make the Grand Canyon. <laughs> the Grand Canyon came because of the floodwaters that cut that out. Uh, it's impossible for the Colorado River to have made the Grand Canyon. Uh, the evolutionists continue to try to claim that. We can see the, the, the fossils, and even in that judgment, we have carbon-based fuels. Praise the Lord. Because fossil fuels are fossil fuels because of the flood that left the fossils by which we get the petroleum that we use to drive our cars and to make our plastics and all those other wonderful things that we've been blessed with that I know that the climate change activists, the global warming activists continue to criticize and they uh, want to uh, reduce our carbon footprint and, and on and on and on and on it goes. But we understand that there will not be a flood ever again upon the earth, a worldwide flood. Yes, there are local floods, regional floods, but never again a worldwide flood. So in this covenant, God marks the covenant with a rainbow. Now, I had no idea Dan was going to talk about rainbows today in his lesson, and it just happened to be I was uh, preparing uh, this message, and then he 
he talks about rainbows, and uh, I didn't know if he was going to go into more of the scientific aspects of the rainbow, but it's, it's very, very fascinating uh, about the, the rainbow, and one of the most beautiful rainbows that I have ever seen has been this one here that uh, I'm, I'm actually, don't, don't tell anybody, but I was driving the Hoosier Heartland Highway one morning, and I was heading to Logansport, and it was rain in the morning, and it was a beautiful sunrise, and all of a sudden there was this just gorgeous rainbow. And uh, I'm driving along at 55 miles an hour, and I'm doing one of these things. <laughs> so that's why there's a side mirror in the corner there. Beautiful rainbow. And I didn't think anything about the LGBTQ nonsense. I thought about this passage right here in Genesis 9 of God's promise that he would never destroy the world again with a flood. At the same time, I remembered that there is a judgment coming, and it will be by fire. But I love rainbows. I did not know this until recently, but if you can remember the name Roy G. Biv, you can remember the colors of the rainbow. Roy G. Biv, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. So I don't know who Roy G. Biv is, but uh, he helps us with an acronym for remembering the colors of the rainbow. The word bow in the original language, Gesheth, literally means a battle bow, a bow that the soldiers would take out into battle. And of course, again, that is reflective of the judgment, but it speaks to the promise of God, the seal in a sense, the sign of God's covenant with man and with every living creature that he would not destroy the earth again with a worldwide flood. From the biblical accounts of the rainbow, there, of course, have been, just like with the flood, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of flood myths and legends. If you ever go to the Ark Encounter, you can go to an exhibit. I believe the Creation Museum has one as well. And you can read about some of the flood legends, flood myths that are out there. Because the biblical account is the true account, and... People have distorted, in their various cultures and religions, they've distorted the biblical account of the flood, and they've done the same with the rainbow. There are superstitions, there are myths, there are legends regarding the rainbow. If you wanted to get into all that, it's an interesting study. But there's no message in the sun, the moon, or the stars. This is not astrology. We're never told to look to the sun, the moon, or the stars for messages from God. They are simply signs of the seasons and the days. And the rainbow is the sign or the symbol of the covenant of God with man that he would not send a worldwide flood again to destroy the earth. It's also a unilateral covenant. It is made by one. This has no conditions placed on it. God simply states, I am making this covenant with man but literally, it's just a covenant that God establishes that he will not destroy man in the form of a worldwide flood ever again. So it's, liter it's literally unilateral. Uh, it's just God making this promise. It is unconditional and it is inviolable, secure, fixed, permanent, and it is universal with all of humanity. 
and it is perpetual, lasting throughout all of time. We know that the next time that the universe is destroyed, it'll be destroyed by fire, 2 Peter 3, where the elements will uh, melt with fervent heat, and we've looked at that already in this series. So that's the Noahic covenant. We also want to look at the Abrahamic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant takes us to Genesis chapter number 12, Genesis chapter number 12, where we see the call of Abram, and here the Abrahamic covenant is introduced as the Lord calls Abram out of the land of of Ur, and he says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. This is where this covenant is introduced. Genesis 15, the covenant is expanded on. We don't have time to read the whole chapter. But here we see this covenant is expanded on. And we read in verse number 1, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And then in verse 7 of Genesis 15, he speaks specifically about the land. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Is not that land still a major source of controversy? When you look at the West Bank, which is one of the most recent, once again, one of the most recent points of contention, the West Bank, all of that belongs to Israel. It all belongs to Israel. The Muslims lay a claim to it based upon a vision that Muhammad had. He never set foot on that land. The Jews occupied that land, owned that land, far before the Ottoman Empire came and conquered the land. Muhammad never set foot on it, but they laid claim to it because of a vision of Muhammad. But it belongs to the Jews. And we see that promise right here in Genesis 15. That land is part of the promise in the Abrahamic covenant. It is reaffirmed in Genesis 17. We read a portion of that passage already in our scripture reading. He renews it with Isaac. He renews it with Jacob. And it is an everlasting covenant. The two-state policy, principle, solution is not a solution. It's not. The Palestinians, some of them are part of the Israeli nation. Arabs are, uh, some of the Arabs are Jewish citizens, or citizens of Israel, I should say. There is a way for there to be peace, and it is for Israel to have the land that God gave them. 
that they rightfully own and have earned and have been gifted by God. As I've said before, and I'm repeating what someone has taught me, if the Jews were to lay down their arms, there would be no Israel. If the terrorist organizations and the Muslims and the Arabs who are pointing their guns at Israel, if they would lay down their arms, there would be peace. But if the Jews put their arms away, Israel would cease to exist. That says a lot right there. Someday I'd love to bring a series of messages just on, on Israel and, and the land. But it is an everlasting covenant. And those that bless Israel, God will bless. And we have seen that throughout history. We have seen that aspect of the covenant even in the way Israel is treated. If we don't treat Israel properly as a nation, we will suffer the consequences from not being a proper partner with Israel and treating them with the honor and the respect they deserve as God's people. We know that they have, by and large, rejected Christ as the Messiah, but one day they will turn to Christ. They will return. They will see Christ as the Messiah. They will be saved as a nation. We've talked about that in our series on prophecy. There are four elements of the Abrahamic covenant that are important for us to recognize. There's the seed. Who is the ultimate fulfillment of this seed? It's Jesus Christ. He is how the whole world will be blessed. How will the seed of Abraham bless the whole world? Because of Jesus Christ, who is of the seed of Abraham. The land, we've talked a little bit about that. And that, that land that God gives Israel goes from the Nile River all the way to the Euphrates. And I forget how far north and south, but it's a lot more than that little portion that they have right now, that small part of what they have right now. The covenant involves the nation, the nation of Israel, distinct as a nation, as the, Jew, as the Jewish people. The church is not Israel. Israel's not the church. And then there is divine blessing and protection. Just the fact that Israel exists, that the Jewish people continue to exist as a people group, is a testimony to the inspiration and the infallibility of the Word of God. Because if it weren't for God's divine blessing and protection for His promise upon Israel, humanly speaking, there would be no reason for Israel to exist. Humanly speaking. The Six-Day War... What was it, 1948, Israel's declared a nation, and instantly the Arab nations attack Israel. And Israel is able to defend themselves, miraculously, providentially. And then they have kept some of those borders ever since because they realized very quickly that if they didn't keep those borders, those extended borders, then they were indefensible against the Arabs and, the, and the, the, uh, the terrorist groups surrounding them. They had to keep certain defenses, certain borders for their own defenses. We cannot imagine. We cannot imagine here in America if there were countries all the way around us on our border who even in some places had the high ground and were pointing rockets and missiles at us and occasionally shooting them and sometimes just randomly and sometimes for the most ridiculous political reasons because of the slant in the news. And uh, we, we, we just don't have time to get into all that. But God's divine protection and blessing is part of the covenant. It is unconditional, ultimately fulfilled, 
in a kingdom and salvation for Israel, Romans 11, in conditional in the terms of immediate fulfillment. Obviously, Christ came and died on the cross, rose again, provided for the salvation of Israel, for our salvation as Gentiles who trust Christ. Obviously, the nation of Israel continues to exist. We continue to see God's providence and protection around them, even though they have uh, not received all of the land, though they have not received Christ and turned to him in, uh, in salvation as a nation, uh, though there is a remnant. So we see the Abrahamic covenant. And then we see, thirdly tonight, we see the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant. 2 Samuel chapter number 7. 2 Samuel chapter number 7 tonight. 2 Samuel 7, we see this promise of God to David that upon his throne there will always be a descendant of David upon the throne of Israel. And we see in 2 Samuel 7 and verse 12, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He speaks of the temple. He speaks of Solomon, and Solomon being, being the one to build the temple. And then he speaks of the throne of David, a descendant of David, being on the throne forever. Okay, we'll get to that a little bit more uh, uh, later as we work our way through this. Second Chronicles, or excuse me, First Chronicles, First Chronicles, chapter seventeen. First Chronicles, chapter number seventeen, in verse eleven. First Chronicles seventeen, in verse eleven. And it shall come to pass when thy days shall when thy days be expired that thou must go to be with thy fathers and I will raise up thy seed after thee which shall be of thy sons and I will establish his kingdom he shall, he shall build me a house and I will establish his throne forever I will be his father and he shall be my son and I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him that was before thee speaking of Saul but I will settle him in my house and in my kingdom forever and his throne shall be established forevermore i think it's very obvious that this is an eternal promise an everlasting promise according to all these words and according to all this vision so did nathan speak unto david and then there's second chronicles 6 and verse 16 so david's kingdom would be established forever this again is fulfilled in whom it's fulfilled in jesus christ Isaiah chapter 9 and verses 6 and 7, we often think of them as Christmas verses. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, and we know these verses, um, again, from obviously the, the Christmas season, but this speaks to the kingdom of our Lord. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I think it's very, very clear that this is an everlasting covenant, and it's fulfilled in Christ who will rule and reign upon the throne of David. 
in the millennial kingdom and into eternity. So the house, the kingdom, and the throne are all fulfilled in Christ. Now, would there be interruptions along the way? Would there be the Babylonian captivity? Would there be the curse of Jehoiakim, Chin, uh, the curse of Jeconiah, I should say. He's also known as Jehoiachin. Would there be those interruptions? Was there a, a, a king upon the throne from the line of David when Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem? No. But though there are interruptions to a descendant of David reigning, ultimately Christ's Davidic reign will conclude human history. It will be fulfilled. Christ rules and reigns now, and we talk of his spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God being primarily a spiritual kingdom right now, ruling and reigning in the hearts of all those who know Christ as their Savior. There will be a literal physical kingdom at the millennial kingdom, and then an eternal kingdom, the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. And we spent time looking at those already in our series. So what about this curse of Jeconiah or Jehoiachin? This appears to break this covenant, no son of Jeconiah would sit on David's throne, Jeremiah 22, Jeremiah 36. But Jesus' blood right to the throne of David came through Mary, through Nathan, Solomon's brother, Luke chapter 3. And because Jesus was virgin born, the curse would not apply to Jesus. So that is the Davidic covenant. Finally tonight, in the little bit of time that we have left, let's look at the new covenant. The new covenant. Hebrews chapter number 7. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter number 7. We'll go all the way to the New Testament. Hebrews is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful study. It is so rich in Old Testament, in the symbols and in the pictures and the explanations that Hebrews gives of the Old Testament. And all throughout the book of Hebrews, we see that Jesus Christ is better. Jesus Christ is the best. Jesus Christ is greater. He's greater than the law, greater than the Levitical priesthood, greater than, greater than, greater than, greater than Moses. We see that all throughout. In Hebrews chapter number 7, in verse 22, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Testament being covenant. And we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Don't have time to get into great details there. It's not that the Old Covenant had no value and now we live in the New Testament age so we don't need the Old Testament anymore. I know there's a popular preacher out there of a mega church who talks about the Old Testament basically being irrelevant. We don't really need the Old Testament anymore. I don't know how he can be called a preacher of the gospel and say those kinds of things. But the New Testament explains and interprets the Old Testament. But the New Covenant, the New Testament, fulfills the Old Covenant. So the Old Covenant revealed our sin, pointed us to the Savior, and the New Covenant is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Christ's priesthood, ultimately in Hebrews 7 and Hebrews 8, the author here, the human author, by the inspiration of God, is declaring Christ's priesthood is greater than the priesthood of 
Aaron of the Levitical priesthood. His priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek. We don't have time to read through all these verses. And he argues how Christ's priesthood is greater. He is the guarantor, the surety of a better covenant. All the old covenant could do, the Old Testament pointed to the Savior, pointed to the Messiah, revealed our sin. But the new covenant in Jesus Christ is the fulfillment, is our Savior, is our salvation, the guarantor, the surety of the better covenant. This word surety is only used in this verse in the entire New Testament. And we see the the fact that Jesus Christ is that guarantor of the new covenant, of the better covenant. He is savior to the uttermost. Man can do some measure of spiritual influencing. Yes, God gifts men to the church. God gifts us with spiritual gifts. We edify, we encourage, we evangelize, we share the gospel. God gives us the privilege of being servants for him and being godly influences, Lord willing, uh, as, as we love the Lord and serve him and obey him, we have opportunity to be an influence and be a testimony and to be a gospel witness. But we don't save anybody. I can't save anybody. I, I, can, I, can, barely, I can barely save myself from my own stupidity sometimes <laughs> with the, some of the dumb things that I do and say. And the fact that I can walk upstairs and I forget why I'm even up there. I got all the way upstairs, and I'm like, why am I here? Where am I going? What am I doing? Do I need to go all the way back downstairs just to remind myself of why I went up there in the first place? I, there's no way I could save anybody. I can simply declare the truth. I can get out of the way of what God wants to do in people's lives. And I pray often and regularly that as I get up to preach that I would not get in the way of the truth of the word of God. Let me not be a hindrance. Let me not be a distraction to the truth of the word of God. But Jesus Christ can save. He can bring, this is not a mutual justification statement. He can save us. He can bring us all the way. That is not a Catholic statement of mutual justification where, you know, we do, we do our part, Jesus does his part, and then together we, we make it. That's not what I'm saying in that. I'm saying that Jesus takes us from our helplessness we needed rescued and he brings us out of that place of helplessness he rescues us and he rescues us all the way he doesn't bring us part of the way and then drop us he doesn't bring us three quarters of the way and say well i just couldn't hold on any longer and lets us go if he saves us he saves us to the uttermost completely he who hath begun a good work in you will perform until the day of jesus christ and then he is entirely separate from sinners if we had time to read through here, what did the priests have to do? They had to make it to one for themselves. They had to offer sacrifices for their own sin. Jesus Christ never had to make any kind of sacrifice for his own sin because he was completely holy and sinless. He was the sinless sacrifice for our sin. He paid the penalty for our sin. He was our substitute. And by him we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. So we see that Christ will save Israel. And no Levitical priest could do that. None of them. 
None of the kings, none of the prophets, and not even the spiritual leaders, the priests, could save Israel, could save us, only through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the new covenant. And with that, we come to a close tonight, and we hopefully can see the glories of our Savior Jesus Christ and the glories of heaven and the incredible character of our God who is faithful in all of these covenants and will fulfill all of them fully to the uttermost by his grace and by his power. And we thank the Lord for that. And may that humble us tonight to go out and to serve him more and to love him more and be even more obedient and faithful this week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your covenants with us, unworthy sinners. Thank you for these truths. May it, Lord, reinvigorate us and re-energize us to go out and to serve you more, to be more faithful and to fulfill all the will of God that you have called us to. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Derek is going to come and lead us in...